All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Making the Argument with Nick Freitas. Let me tell you today we have a great episode and we're going to answer this question. Should conservatives stop competing in the marketplace and direct all of our attention to the parallel economy? We've got a lot of good stories that we're going to bring up today and as you're probably aware, Nick and Tina are on their anniversary vacation today but they will be back with us next Tuesday so we look forward to that. Nick had two really difficult months, really challenging months in session between January and February and they both really deserved this vacation. But don't worry, we have a great episode for you today. And now I'm going to hand it over to Lydia. Thank you guys so much for joining us on today's episode of Making the Argument. I personally am really excited about this. First of all, I have to say Nick really came back swinging. I was really impressed with how strong he came back. Definitely deserves this vacation. I hope they're really having fun. But I wanted to say, I think that the parallel economy is super important because I have to get medicine through a pharmacy. I don't know how many of you guys know, but I have MS, which is not a disease that ever goes away. So I have to work with these pharmacies. So it was so frustrating to see that I had no option when it came to choosing a pharmacy that actually supported my pro-life views. So the first thing we're going to talk about today, it's going to be awesome, going to be the pharmacies. Christian's going to talk about some of the business stuff, and we're really going to put a ribbon on all of it for you guys as we try to figure out whether we should engage with the way things are now or try to create a different paradigm. You guys should definitely make sure to join us over on Volley to give us more ideas for episodes. I'm excited to get started. Let's go, Hamilton. So Christian, something just happened in California between Governor Newsom and Walgreens. What was it? Um, actually, right before we jump into explaining what just happened over the past week in California, I, I wanted to kind of set the stage for us and explain what a parallel economy even is, right? So if you're if you're watching this video, we've got it in the title. We're you know we're we're saying that that the economy has been moving in this in this direction where there's going to be two different you know, basically interest groups that companies are going to be pandering to. Um, pandering might not be the appropriate word, but catering to. Um, so, I I mean, I, I kind of wanted your guys' take on this. When you hear this phrase, because this is a phrase that I did not hear until, well, really just like probably a couple months ago. Sure. Um, like I, Lydia was telling me that there's an entire payment processing platform literally called parallel economy that I had not heard of until I started doing the research for this, for this episode. So it's a phrase that I think some of our audience members might not have heard of, or maybe they've only recently heard of. Um, so yeah. before we jump into the Walgreens thing, I just kind of wanted to open the floor to both of you guys to explain like what you think that phrase means. To that point, Christian, 
Lydia, you're actually very engaged in this parallel economy thing in a really unique way. Yeah, so my husband actually works alongside of a company called Public Square. He helps them with their systems and processing and tech stuff like that. And one of the things I've watched is this company just explode as interest grows. People are really excited about the option to work with companies that don't hate their values. Like, for example, we just saw, this isn't Public Square, this is Daily Wire, but we just saw Hershey come out with a campaign that tried to put trans women on the same level as women. Women. And there was immediate pushback on that from the right. And I personally think that's awesome. I think that's how it should be. And I think that's a fine example of the parallel economy. What Public Square does is that it assembles alternatives for you to go through and say, okay, I don't want to buy a surprisingly specific brand like Carhartt. So who am I going to go to? They literally give you an option. They give you options for men's jeans, women's jeans, makeup, coffee, and stuff like that. And they're expanding every single day and their user groups are growing and it's really exciting to watch. But that's like a, a real life application of an actual parallel economy, which as Christian was saying, is the name of a payment processing system that we actually used over at Timcast, which was incredible. Andy put that in place as well. So he's been very intimately connected with this. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us to talk about it, but I am delighted to talk about it for sure. Yeah. I'm excited about all this stuff. And we're going to talk about Public Square a little bit more uh, later. But Christian, this thing with Walgreens in California, Walgreens typically hasn't been a political company at all. So what's happened there? So um, Walgreens has decided to comply with the law in some other states um, and announced that they wouldn't be selling abortion pills in um, 20 states. And the response that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, put out was... I mean, it, it, it sent Walgreens investors kind of panicking because he basically was like, we're done with, you know, Walgreens. We're finished with them in California. We're never going to do business with them ever again. He like directed all these um, state agencies to look at any sort of like contracts, any sort of any sort of money that the state of California indirectly or directly pays to Walgreens. Apparently, he wants to get rid of all of that. Um, and if you're Walgreens you're kind of stuck in this lose-lose situation because on one hand, you have left-wing governors like Gavin Newsom in California that are literally demanding that they don't follow laws outside of California, which, by the way, that, that's kind of ridiculous. For anybody that wants to make a comparison here, I know the comparisons are going to be made. For anybody that wants to make a comparison be between what's happening uh, with Walgreens, Gavin Newsom in California, and what happened with Disney, Ron DeSantis in Florida, understand that Florida's reaction to what Disney was doing was in reaction to Disney trying to influence law in Florida. It wasn't like Disney was pushing something in California and the reaction from Florida was, we're going to take away, you know, tax benefits and, and all these different carve outs and everything. But what's happening in California is literally the opposite, right? Gavin Newsom is not upset that Walgreens is doing something in California that he disagrees with. Gavin Newsom is upset that Walgreens is obeying the laws that other states have passed and that Walgreens has to obey in those states that it's operating in. And he's it, giving them an ultimatum. Go ahead. Is Walgreens selling the abortion pill in California? In California, yes. Um, wow. They're not selling it in states where abortion is illegal or where, where selling that abortion pill is illegal. 
And Newsom is upset about that. And so he's basically saying, we're not going to, to do any business with you. If you're Walgreens, you're you're literally stuck in a lose-lose situation where you can either get sued by 20 red state attorney generals, or, or sorry, attorneys general, or you can lose out on an entire market in the largest state in the entire country. Yeah, so I was just going to mention that they actually were threatened with legal action from some of these attorneys general. So they decided, you know what? We're just not going to sell this one particular medicine in these red states. And Gavin Newsom, because he's an interfering authoritarian, looked at that and he said, fine, you can't do business with us. Now, the interesting thing to me was that the San Francisco SF gate, San Francisco gate was pointing out that they actually reached out to Gavin Newsom's office. And they said, so what exactly is this going to look like? And they basically just gave them woke buzzwords and said, well, we have to protect women's health, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the pseudonyms, but <clears throat> they gave no actual solution solution for how this would look in California. And I think as we all know, in California, drugstores especially are at really high risk of just being ransacked by people with no fear of the law. So I honestly can't help thinking that some of these drugstores, at least Walgreens, are not going to be super sad to leave the market. It's just such a big one that I know this certainly must feel like it's putting them in a hard situation. And I know Students for Life has done quite a bit about this abortion pill being recently uh, sold in CVS, Walgreens, and these different drugstores. Um, but what Gavin Newsom isn't taking into account here is that the abortion pill is not the safest thing or a very safe drug to be selling you know, over the counter or even by prescription at any of these pharmacies because – Essentially what it is, if I believe the abortion pill can be taken uh, and used if you were less than 12 weeks pregnant, and you go to the pharmacy, get that pill, and then go home, take the, the first of the two pills, and the first pill kills your baby, and the second pill forces the expulsion of the fetus in your home not, not, with no supervision. Yeah, so he doesn't really care that it's not safe because we know this is not about actually health, actual health or safety of women. This is literally just virtue signaling because for whatever reason, this is their hill to die. And this is so important to them that babies be on the sacrifice altar for them. They don't care. They will risk anything for it. But it was interesting that SFGate pointed out that it was just words from him. He really is just taking a strong stand so that the people of California can, I guess, look up to him. To me, it just smacks of him queuing himself up for a presidential run, but we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know what's going to happen I think with that he's Walgreens. trying, I think he's trying to mimic DeSantis's style without understanding why DeSantis is doing some of the things that he's doing, because I tried to make that distinction between um, the way that, that, you know, this Disney situation played out in Florida and what's happening here in California with Walgreens and how there's, again, a lot of people are going to draw these similarities. I'm sure Newsom himself wants to draw this similarity in a positive way, but I, I do think that they are different types of stories. But speaking of DeSantis, there's a lot of examples. In fact, there's probably too many to, to go through, but, but to just give our audience a few examples of what we mean by this whole emergence of a parallel economy and what it means for, um, for the economic future of this country and also for the political landscape of America. Some of the most prominent examples that I can think of are the ESG backlash from the right and how 
states like Florida and governors like DeSantis have been, and, and not just in Florida, not just with DeSantis as well, but you've also got um, states like Tennessee and Texas, South Carolina, Arkansas, some states in, in the Great Plains as well. I believe the Dakotas are, are working on this too, where a lot of these conservative states are saying, we are not going to be putting our, um, you know, like state pension systems. We're not going to be having our bank deposits. We're, we're not going to be doing any sort of business with, um, with companies like BlackRock or any investment bank that has ESG goals attached to any of their investment strategies. Because what we're effectively doing if we allow this to happen is we are using state taxpayer money or state investment money to help fund woke propaganda that's targeting industries that our state relies on. A good example of this was in Louisiana, which is is heavily reliant on the oil industry. They've got a lot of offshore um, oil platforms in Louisiana. The oil industry is a big deal there, as well as in Texas. And companies like BlackRock are, are pushing ESG standards that target the oil industry directly. And you're increasingly having banks refuse to give any sort of financial aid or loans to any company that deals in the oil industry or really the energy industry at all, as, as long as it's, it's outside of wind and solar. And so a lot of these states are saying, why are we funding the destruction of the industries that our states rely on by, by giving these companies our money to manage? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I feel like that one's especially bipartisan because a lot of these states, well, I won't say a lot because I'm not sure which of these states are politically aligned with which party, but I know that a lot of them are industrial. West Virginia, I know, is very conservative, but at the same time, they have a lot of coal interests there. So they are not going to be a state that's willing to turn over the ESG investment of people's pension or the... Okay, let me try it again. They're not willing to turn over the investment of people's pensions to these ESG funds when they're actively working against this primary export from their state. So I'm really happy to see that. From my understanding, ESG doesn't perform all that well on a consistent basis. Krishna, I don't know if you can speak to that. I don't know if you know how well they perform, but that was really interesting to me too. It just doesn't do that well. Yeah, Lydia, we, we did a podcast episode last year, actually, about how for the longest time when the bubble was going on, when the everything bubble was roaring, there wasn't really any concerns about throwing a couple billion dollars here or there for some sort of, you know, woke performative um, platform. But now that the economy is, is, you know, kind of in a crisis mode, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates rapidly. We're seeing a lot of layoffs. The stock market has not performed very well over the past year and a half. A lot of companies are now, okay, you know, we need to look for ways to cut spending. Well, one of the easiest ways you can cut spending is on some of the woke virtue signaling stuff. But when they do so, they get a backlash from the left. So I, I've given an example here of, of how people on the right, in my opinion, rightfully so, are, are upset at, at some of the, the very left-wing stuff that, that corporate America has pushed recently. But we have the same thing on the left. A good example is is look at the brand image for Tesla, right? So historically, Tesla, as an electric car manufacturer, had a very, very high approval rating with people on the left. I, I can't tell you how many people I know on the left that were tweeting over the past you know, five or six years how they love Tesla and they love Elon Musk and he's doing all these great things and you know, you know, they should be supporting them, um, you know, go out there and buy Tesla. And then what happened in the last really like two years, really past year, 
Elon Musk came out as a a closet moderate conservative, not even a not even a big conservative, but a moderate conservative. He said that he was going to vote for Republicans in the 2022 elections. He bought Twitter and he criticized Twitter's approach to freedom of speech. And he he brought back people like Donald Trump, who even though Trump hasn't tweeted yet again, he unbanned him. He unbanned a lot of conservatives. Um, he. Musk came out and basically repudiated a lot of what the left had been saying with, you know, their, their message of basically imposing censorship. And the reaction from the left was devastating, right? You, you had people that were tweeting just a few years ago that they love Tesla were saying, oh, well, I'm never going to buy a Tesla again. I can tell you, for example, my father, definitely a man on the left, college professor, he fits kind of the mold of the left-wing academic, um, he hates Elon Musk. I, I remember I told him that that the next car that I want to buy might be a Tesla. And he was like, I would never buy anything from Elon Musk. He has a terrible opinion of that brand image. And we have uh, we, we have opinion polls from late last year. I believe there was an opinion poll that was held in December last year. So just a few months ago that showed that for the first time ever, conservatives have a higher opinion of the brand name Tesla than liberals. That has never happened in, in the history of Tesla as a company because Tesla is an electric vehicle manufacturer and conservatives tend to view electric vehicles much more negatively than people on the left. But Tesla, the brand name, has, has a higher approval rating with people on the right than people on the left now. And the only reason why is because their CEO happens to have more conservative views than your typical CEO that, that operates in corporate America now. So, I mean, I think that's an example of how the left is abandoning a brand that they used to embrace simply for political reasons and political reasons alone. Yeah. So it's been interesting to watch how conservatives views of business overall has changed over the last few years. And I know we have an article about this somewhere, but one of the things that's been interesting to watch has been that conservatives no longer revere big business like they used to. In fact, I think it's at the lowest point that it's been at in years, which is really telling. They don't like, it's probably a result of the COVID pandemic, to be honest. They probably really don't trust companies like Pfizer and Moderna, and that makes sense too. But at the same time, we see them respecting Tesla and other brands who are not insulting them for the crime of being conservative or even remotely right wing. Like Elon Musk is not a conservative. He's just someone who's looking rationally at the way that for example, the media is full of nonsense. They're intentionally trying to deceive people. Like his commentary on the January 6th stuff has been incisive. Like he's really paying attention, which is really nice to see. And it's honestly refreshing. And I think that's probably a big reason that people are really gravitating toward him. Um, I'm curious if it continues. And I'm also curious if this drop in people's, in conservatives' approval of big business continues, because as far as I'm concerned, that's a great sign for the parallel economy. The practical application is that these people are going to look for small businesses, mom and pop stores, and honestly just supporting their neighbors and looking for made in America products instead of going to places like Amazon and other places that they know don't like them, don't want to work with them from their candy to their razors to everything. Like to me, as far as I'm concerned, this is what it's actually going to look like if there is a divide in the U.S. And I think it's probably the best, most peaceful solution. I think it's probably the way forward. What do you guys think? 
I, I think that as long as big businesses continue to prioritize the uh, priorities of ESG and wokeism, we will continue finding other places to spend our money and people who want to uh, take our money as well for a good product in exchange. Um, you know, just me personally, I've been driving uh, a truck for the past 10 years, the same truck since I was in high school, and I was looking to buy a new car, and I'm traditionally a truck person. Um, about two years ago, I started looking at Teslas and things of that nature, and I was interested in them, but I'll tell you what accelerated my interest in buying a Tesla, and that was Elon buying Twitter. And so I think this is a perfect example of how when a company can not only provide a good product and service to the customer, but also not insult our values and prioritize how we use that product and service and what value it brings to our daily lives, we will participate in business with them. But as long as these companies continue to prioritize wokeism over that product and service and serving the customer first and the customer's priorities and interests, uh, this is just going to continue. Um, but, you know, Lydia, I'm interested in asking you, what role do you think, um, you know, things like Jeremy's Chocolate and Jeremy's Razors play in the parallel economy? That's a great question. So right now, Jeremy's chocolate is super expensive, but people are buying it just to make a point, which more power to them. I think that's awesome. But I think this should really be the catalyst. And I kind of would love to see somebody like Public Square working with the Daily Wire to say, hey, Jeremy's chocolate's awesome, but there are companies that are much more affordable that you can sustainably buy long-term who will always be there for you. I have no idea how long Jeremy's chocolate's gonna last. I know that they came up with it at the drop of a hat, which was hilarious and amazing. They made their ad in like 15 seconds. It didn't go quite as hard as Jeremy's razors, which they had more time to prepare. But I think it's a great wake-up call and kind of a red pill for people to wake up and be like, oh, not only do we need to boycott these companies because we've been saying that for years, let's be honest. I stopped buying from a certain razor company a long time ago because I knew what they thought of me. Um, and I just never went back. But at the same time, I was like, okay, so who am I going to buy this stuff from now? Because I don't stop needing these products just because I decided that X is a bad company, right? So Public Square really offers that viable alternative of here is a company you can work with if you are sick of the leftist shenanigans coming from this other company. And I really think, I personally love the concept of offering a solution. If you're going to complain about something, please give me a solution because I want that. I don't just want to hear a complaint. I want to hear like an actual alternative. Um, and I think that's really what people are waking up to. Very exciting to watch. I think Jeremy's chocolate is a great red pill for people to notice, hey, you know, we really don't like Hershey's. First of all, Hershey's tastes awful. Second of all, they have horrible Agreed. values. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're kind of garbage chocolate. Let's be real. I never and liked them to begin with. Yeah, no, they truly aren't the best. And there are a lot of different companies. I don't know how long it's been since I bought Hershey's. And that, see, that wasn't an actual boycott on my part. That was the free market. I was like, mm -hmm. Hershey's isn't good. I'm going to buy from usually Lint. Don't know anything about Lint's politics. Don't want to know if they don't shove them down my throat with a freaking, you know, ad campaign about how I'm not truly a woman. I'm definitely on board for that. But Hershey's, man, that middle management got in there and they shoved this ideology so far that now people are like, nope, not interested. I love how you, how you pointed out that it was the middle management. 
Um, yes. Th- th- yeah. There's so many articles that I've stumbled across over the past year that's explaining like why some of these companies are pushing the you know virtue signaling stuff when they have it, it, it doesn't affect them at all. In fact, in some cases, it can it can massively backlash and hurt them as we've seen with Disney. And the reason why is because the middle management of a lot of these companies are staffed with people that are a bunch of ideologues. It's not always the CEOs and the executives, and it's certainly not the shareholders that necessarily want this thing. I guarantee you, the average Hersey shareholder does not care about slapping a transgender woman on an ad and trying to sell that to people for for Women's Month. The average Hershey shareholder is looking at free cash flow. They're looking at share buybacks. They're looking at dividend payments. They're looking at mergers and acquisitions. They're looking at things that make them money. Not things yeah. that 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 broadcast to people. Look at how great I am. As uh, you know, look at look at the the woke morals that I have. They don't care about that at all. But they don't usually get a choice because the people that are running the show, at the again at the middle level, um, at the mid management level, they're the ones that are are pushing this more and more and more. And I think that they're eventually going to. We keep talking about this phrase parallel economy in this episode. What's going to eventually happen? to the broader economy is what happened to the the news um, industry in the United States, right? It used to be long before any of us three were even alive. It used to be under our, our parents and really under our grandparents that you would have news organizations that reported the facts and they allowed people to draw their own conclusions, right? And then you had the emergence of partisan news and it, it, it went in both directions, right? So, you know, CNN became very left-wing. Fox News came along and started and started catering to people on the right. The New York Times ended up throwing all of its previous century-long history of being a reputable news source completely out of the window and decided to cater to half the population on the left. Same thing with the Washington Post. Um, and, and what happened was is that news no longer became a place for you to get objective facts and then you draw your own conclusions from news became a place that you went to consume anything that 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 conformed to your biases and now what you have is that people on the right consume right-wing news and people on the left consume left-wing news and it's not even really news it's more propaganda now and i think the same thing is going to eventually happen to the broader economy it's already happened um, to, to, to where we, we get our information from, is it really any surprise to see that eventually it would trickle down into where we buy our razors from or where we buy our chocolate from or where we go get our, our medicines from or you know what car brands we purchase? What are your guys' well, thoughts on that? Getting back, to the, uh, getting back to the chocolate bar real quick, you know, something that I, I don't think a lot of conservatives have covered is Mr. Beast's Feastables, which is oh, yeah. Mr. Beast's chocolate bar brand uh, that I think was launched about a year ago. And what's so interesting about that is Mr. Beast was able to use his you know, YouTube experience and his brand that he had built online to drive traffic towards that product. And people weren't buying – uh, his chocolate bars necessarily because they disliked Hershey's, but because it was a better chocolate bar and they had a previous relationship with Mr. Beast through the years of content that he had created. Um, and so, but the one question that I wanted to ask you, Christian, was does the middle management of these companies even care what the shareholders think? Absolutely not. 
Although they will certainly care when those shareholders revolt and result in a lot of those middle management people getting fired, as you saw at Disney recently. It was um, Nelson Peltz, I believe is his name, who's a um, big-time activist investor. When I say activist investor, I don't mean woke activism. Yeah. I mean, sure. activist investor in that that he's one of these type of guys. He's a multi-billionaire. He's one of these type of guys. Nobody ever really – a lot of multi-billionaires don't really get a lot of press, right? But they're, they're, there's a decent amount of them out there on Wall Street, right? Peltz is one of these type of guys that will go in. He'll buy a significant stake in a company. He'll get either himself or an ally appointed to the board. And then he will use that position on the board in order to make changes with the company that he thinks are necessary in order for the company to improve its financial situation and thus improve its stock price so that way he can make money as an investor of the company. He's done this many, many times. And he recently disclosed that he purchased a massive position in Disney. This, this, this happened just a couple months ago. Actually, the whole shareholder fight just happened a few weeks ago. It's still ongoing. Peltz came out. With this long document, he titled it Restoring the Magic, and it was his, his, his business plan for, for revamping Disney and getting back to the basics of producing good content that people like to consume, like in its golden era during the 1990s when they came out. Remember all those movies that, that you, know, you grew up with, all the Disney movies that, that you know, are, are just massively successful even to this day? I think of any you Disney the, movie from you the mean- 90s. You mean all the Disney movies that Disney um, advertised during their Super Bowl commercial this past year, Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All the classics. And notice how none of them are the recent ones. They're all from the 90s, basically, um, or, or, or the early 2000s. Back in those time periods, Disney was a very successful company. They were engaged in all sorts of things. They had a hockey team, for crying out loud. But um, – but but what happened was is that Disney lost sight of its original mission and it pivoted away from making good quality content that people wanted to consume regardless of their age and especially if they had kids to pushing woke performative nonsense. And Peltz came along. He purchased a huge stake in Disney. Disney stock has, has gone nowhere over the past like five or six years. And Peltz came out. He, he came out with this new business plan to revamp Disney and get back to the basics. And Well and behold, there was this massive shareholder fight over this, in large part not because the board was aligning itself with the the middle management wokists within the studios that are trying to push this stuff, but really because they they just wanted to save their seats. They knew that if Peltz was going to get a seat, one of them was going to lose a seat, right? So there was this big fight over this. Um, And what happened was is that they had to give some concessions to Peltz if they didn't want to have this, you know, really boil over into the public and become really, really nasty. And, and so Disney came out and, and they adopted some components of what Peltz was calling for. Peltz was calling for, for mass layoffs of some of the segments of Disney that were losing money um, and, and, and losing money in a way where, where they were intentionally losing money insofar as, well, as long as we can push a, an ideological message, it doesn't really matter if we lose money. You're not going to be in business for very long if that's the case. And so Disney came out and announced that they were laying off 7,000 people Um and again, it's not that, that Peltz was just looking to lay people off. What he really wants is not to lay people off. What he wants is for Disney to be profitable again because that's what he, he's not in the business to lose money. He's in the business of making money. And you're not going to make money pushing woke performative nonsense on people. You're going to make money by making good quality content that people want to enjoy. And if Disney continues down the route that it had been going down for many years now, We've already seen the consequences of this. I know people on the right that have canceled their Disney Plus subscriptions. They, they, they've stopped going to the theme parks. They, they, they basically want nothing to do with this company. 
And again, if you're a shareholder of this company, you're going to be terrified of that. If, though, Disney were to reverse course and make it clear that they have, I think that conservatives in mass would go back to the theme parks, would resubscribe to Disney Plus. Do you all agree with that? I, I, I think the damage has been done, but I do think that Disney as a brand is still large enough that they can fix it. It, we're, we're, it, it's going to require a lot of effort and a lot of apologizing in some ways, maybe not explicitly, but it, it, Disney needs to come out basically and say, we screwed up and, and we're going to, to go back to being the Disney that you grew up and love 10, 15, 20 years ago. But the problem is, is that if they try to do that, they're going to get a backlash from the left, right? If they, if they abandon the rainbow flag campaigns and if they abandon inserting all the woke indoctrination stuff into all of their their shows and movies you know and they drop all the diversity nonsense and they stop they they stop doing this this um pattern of you know replacing historical uh you know characters from old disney movies and you know kind of like erasing you know, I, you know all, all of the the here's an example how many times has disney tried to revamp a movie and then they they pull a racial minority and they slap them into a position that was previously held by a white actor. Um, rather than making new characters and having diverse casts for them. Instead, we're going to go to old classics and we're going to take all of the white characters out of it and just put black or Hispanic or Asian people in it. And then get confused when people who grew up with those stories get upset that you're only doing it. You're, the only reason they're doing it is for woke performative nonsense. And, and in fact, in some ways that's not even fair to the diverse cast that they're trying to put into those roles, because now you're starting them off on a poor footing because they're having to, to fill a shoe that, that, that they were never supposed to fill in the first place. And people aren't going to give them the credit of the doubt as, as you know, how good of an actor they are or an actress they are. Instead, they're just going to get mad about the fact that, that Disney is, is fitting people into positions simply based off of their race or skin color or gender or ethnicity or whatever else it is. So it, Disney has found itself in this very sticky situation where if it tries to extract itself from the hole that it has dug, the left is going to be outraged just like the right was outraged when Disney dug the hole in the first place. This is why I say that we're moving in, into this parallel economy because I think that Disney's going to try to walk a tightrope. They're going to follow the Nelson Peltz model to some degree. They're going to try to walk this tightrope, and I, I don't necessarily know if it's going to work out. And if it does work out, it's only because they have a big enough brand name. But for every Disney that's out there, there's another company that won't be able to walk that tightrope, and they will... It's a loot again, going back to the Walgreens thing, it's a lose lose for Walgreens. They can either alienate conservatives with an you know particular abortion policy, or they can alienate the left by trying to follow the law in some of these conservative states that they do business in. And so I, I, I do think that the future of this country, economically speaking, is you will have a handful of companies that will be able to bridge this this growing political divide, but increasingly We've seen it over and over again that companies are going to have to pick a side. And for so long, companies have, have felt completely comfortable pandering to the left because they paid no price for doing so, and they, but they, they had everything to lose not doing so because the left was more intimidating than the right was. And now, yes. increasingly, you're seeing the right stand up and step up and do the exact same things the left did. And, and the right's message increasingly has been 
If you do this, you will lose our support and our money. And you can go bankrupt yourself pushing this stuff, but you're not going to be doing it with my financial support. And now these companies that for so long felt like that they could just take, you know, take conservatives' money and push left-wing indoctrinating ideas and pay no price for doing so. And now increasingly they are paying a price for doing so and they're having to make a choice. And it's not a pretty choice to make. Yeah, I think you're entirely correct, Christian. And I wanted to say, now that we've looked at a conservative company and a left-leaning company, I have to ask you guys our next question, which is, should conservatives stop competing in this kind of marketplace? Like you were just talking, Christian, about how these companies got so used to just being able to cater to the left because they knew that left-wing backlash was going to be worse for them than right-wing boycotts. So should conservatives even continue to compete in this marketplace or should we completely transition to some kind of parallel economy? What do you guys think? And then I'll tell you what I think. It was just about a year ago, I think April of 2022, that Daily Wire announced Jeremy's Razors. And we had not started on this podcast the format with Tina, Nick, Christian, and I, and then Lydia joining later. And we actually used that topic as kind of a pilot episode, a practice episode that we recorded before we took this new format live uh, for the podcast. And it was really an interesting conversation. And I, I'm, there's a lot of parallels between what we discussed then and what we're discussing right here. Um, and, and the question that I had at that time was, well, as conservatives, as consumers, as entrepreneurs, what is our own role in how this progresses, in who we purchase from, what businesses we start, and how we do business with other people? And it was an especially important question to me because as conservatives, we are all the time looking for alternative platforms to use. Rumble versus YouTube, Parler and Truth Social versus Twitter. And, you know, there's sometimes these pu this push by certain individuals in the conservative movement that we should invest all of our efforts into the parallel platforms. And so I had to wrestle with this quite a lot because in my position, you know, I am discussing with Nick, like, you know, yes, it would be best if we did X on YouTube or Y on Rumble, or should we transition the podcast fully to Rumble, or should we leave it on YouTube or do both? And the question that was that I had in my mind was, well, do we go all in or is our role to continue competing in the current marketplace? And I think the conclusion that I came to was that we each are individually going to be equipped to, to fight in this war in a certain way. So like Dan Bongino, he was very equipped at the time to launch a payment service system called Parallel Economy. And that helped a company like Timcast operate without Stripe coming in and pulling out the rug from below them and not having any payment processing whatsoever. Um, but then you have the question of, well, do we keep the podcast on YouTube when Rumble is a possibility? And the conclusion I came to was we should have the podcast on Rumble and we should have the content there. But if if we don't operate, let's say, on TikTok at all, do we remove the ability to even like compete in the marketplace of ideas? Do we strip ourselves of an opportunity and will there be a void of conservative voices on TikTok or on YouTube where the vast majority of America uses YouTube and doesn't think twice about it? Do we 
step back from that battlefield? Do we stop doing battle by not attempting to compete on YouTube? And I think there's an aspect of this that um, conservatives don't consider a lot of times that, you know, this this whole arena of content creation and the creator economy is one that conservatives have not placed themselves in very much, that we, we've not participated in that. And I think we should always be concerned while we're having this conversation, we should be focused on are we bringing the absolute best product we can to the marketplace? And if we aren't, why aren't people purchasing it? And so a lot of times internally we'll talk about every podcast that we produce is a product that we are hoping that you all will purchase with your time. And our goal is at the end of that hour-long podcast, did you receive enough value in, re in return for that time that you spent? Is that a, is that a good trade-off? Did you receive more in return than you gave us? And so I think that when we approach these conversations like that, we have to understand that we can use Rumble, but are we doing the best we possibly can on YouTube? Have we delivered the best product to the marketplace we can? And so I think a lot of times we, in the conservative movement, don't factor that in, that we, we say, okay, well, there aren't a lot of people purchasing this on YouTube, so therefore we need to go to Rumble. And I think that a lot of times we, we lay our swords down and stop doing battle when we can do both. We can do Rumble and we can do YouTube. And could YouTube at one point ban our channel and say you're not going to get any monetization? They could, but our goal on YouTube isn't you know just to make money. That's like one of the last goals on YouTube is to make money from advertising and things of that nature. We want to be participating in the marketplace of ideas. When someone gets on YouTube and they search for something along the lines of, you know, voter, um, you know, registration or something along, you know, about voting and the first video that they get is from Vox and if they are not an informed individual, who goes to YouTube searching for that information, they are going to get a video from Vox that sounds reasonable, that sounds like it is someone from the middle of the road with no you know, concrete opinions on the left or right giving them that content. But what they don't understand is that they're going to make Republicans look like the enemy, but very subtly. And they're going to make, it look, make Republicans look like the enemy in the very last bit of the video, but everything that they've done leading up to that point has been to make it as clear as possible that Republicans are the enemy. And so if we aren't creating content that performs, that has the customer in mind, then and we leave a void in that marketplace, then we have failed, in my opinion. And, and so I think that in our situation, you know, in you know, Team Freitas and the content we're creating for the Y Minutes on YouTube, on TikTok, Facebook, and all these other platforms, we are competing in the current marketplace. And we're also investing in other platforms. But we're not going to stop competing in the marketplace where 99% of Americans operate, where 99% of Americans go to consume content. And the interesting thing about YouTube is, I'll make this last point, and I made this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. If you're a conservative who uses YouTube, try and think about the last time YouTube recommended you a video that was full of woke propaganda. You probably haven't had a video recommended to you 
like that in the last year or two. And it's because YouTube has built an algorithm that serves the user. And, you know, we can say all day that YouTube is, you know, against conservatives, and they might be. But that doesn't mean we go and stop doing battle there. So I know I had a lot to say there. I would love to get y'all's thoughts on that. No, I I love what you had to say. Lydia, did, did you... I, 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 did you want to react to that? Because I've got an answer to, to the question that you originally asked that Hamilton gave too, but I yeah, wanted to ahead, see Christian. if you had. Okay. So um, I, I think I agree with Hamilton to, to your original question, Lydia, should conservatives basically, you know, pull out of the economy and just, you know, build their own. Remember the phrase, why don't you go build your own YouTube, build your own Twitter? Well, it turns out Elon Musk yeah. just bought Twitter. Right. And then the left freaked out and, um, you know, YouTube was was still an issue at the time, and that's why you had things like Rumble pop up. Although YouTube, I do think, has become a little bit less hyper politicized lately. Um, I know that there is stuff on YouTube that the left wants taken down, and YouTube has not taken it down yet. That does not mean mm-hmm. that YouTube treats us as fair as they do on the left. I don't think they do. Um, but YouTube is Agreed. certainly not as as biased as the old guard at Twitter was. Um, I, in fact, I think it'd be hard to beat. how biased the old guard at Twitter was. But um, I will say this. I don't think that we have to choose between one or the other because I think that the emergence of parallel economies is going to be an organic, natural process of what I was explaining earlier, right? It started with news. People are self-sorting. Like, I don't know what to say. They they are self-sorting. They're self-sorting with what news content they're going to receive. They're self-sorting with what sort of, like, lifestyles or habits they have. They're self-sorting increasingly where they're moving to right? We're seeing Florida explode in population. We're seeing Texas grow rapidly at the same time that tech, uh, the California and New York are losing hundreds of thousands of people every single year. People are self-sorting as to where they're moving. I know people in my own family and friends that are, that are on the left that have decided to move to California or move to Maryland. And, and so at the same time that those are, especially California, are states that are losing people overall because some people on the left are moving in, but they're being massively overwhelmed by the number of people on the right that are moving out. And conservatives increasingly are looking at some of these blue states that they've been living in their entire lives or for 10 or 20 years, and they're saying, I'm out of here. It's, I, I, I'm done with this. And so geographic polarization has rapidly increased over the past several election cycles. And I think that on a state basis, it, it's going to it's it's going to pick up even more. Now, within states, it could subside, right? You know, you could have somebody that's a conservative that moves to Orlando, right, which is still a very very blue city, but in an increasingly red state. So, I think that within states, the the political geography, you know, polarization isn't going to pick up, but between states, it will. And so, again, what I'm saying is is that ideologically based polarization is growing in this country it started with news it it's it spilled over into where we're living and now it's spilling over into where we're shopping and it's not really that surprising it's not something where conservatives are going to have to pick one or the other it's going to happen that doesn't mean that conservatives should abandon the marketplace though right so so right. keep engaging with youtube keep making videos but set up that rumble account right you know, look for other platforms, diversify your reach. One of the biggest things that I've learned over the past, you know, like really year and a half is that if you're building a massive following on one platform, that's a terrible business model. Um, I, here's an example. Nick had something like 200,000 subscribers, um, followers on, on TikTok, and then they banned his account. 
Mm-hmm. Thank God that Nick also built a massive following on Instagram and YouTube as well. Nick has over 200,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. Most of that is from shorts, but it's it's in the same mold as TikTok. He's got he's got more followers on Instagram than Rand Paul has. And so but there, and, and he's got a, over 90,000 followers on Twitter. Go ahead, t- Hamilton. There, there's a there's a very clear reason why that is. Nick is a very talented individual, obviously. We all know that. We listen to his podcast every every, you know, Tuesday and Thursday. But Nick also said I'm not just going to come to this marketplace with my shared beliefs. I'm also going to become the best video creator I can be. And the product that I bring to the marketplace is going to compete with people that perform outside of conservative politics. And he committed himself to being the best video creator he could and didn't blame the, re- the poor results on Instagram or YouTube. He said, no, you know, they may bring my content down. They might do that. But I'm going to get better and better and better. And another company that I wanted to point out real quick is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers, um, we've talked to them back and forth a little, little bit. They're great people. And they, they sent us a box um, of their steak. And Nick and Christian and I tried it. They had chicken they in also, the box. They steak. also sent us chicken. Yeah, they yeah. Also said the it's chicken. chicken. I, I just yeah. want to, I just wanted to bring that up because I'm a, at some point in the near future, I'm going to use that chicken to make my my famous buffalo chicken mac. <laughs> Christian's buffalo chicken mac is fantastic, but they are a competitor to Omaha Steaks, and Omaha Steaks, you know, five years ago came out and took a, a severe left wing approach to their business and their ideology. But Good Ranchers came in, and not only did they make it clear that they had conservative values, but when I tried that chicken, it was some of the best chicken I've ever had. And it's not just that they had conservative values, but they had a superior product. And that superior product can be purchased by apolitical individuals because it meets the demands of the marketplace and is a superior product. And people who used to buy Omaha steaks can now buy Good Ranchers and not care about their politics because it's a better steak. If we only perform within conservative circles, we have failed. And the way that we can perform in conservative circles and within the apolitical marketplace is by having a better product than the competitor. And that's what we need to be committed to not just the shared beliefs that we all have, but having a better product and ensuring that we win by having conservative beliefs that our audience shares, but that we can also market to the apolitical individual because our product is that good. To give you an example, Hamilton, there's some brands, there, there's some brands that have such a high level of public satisfaction that they can get away with pushing their ideology a little bit. Apple is a really good example of this, right? A- yeah. Apple can, you know, fly the rainbow flag every June and and it's a great know, point. pedal left-wing stuff and people will still buy their products because it is a, is largely a superior product in many cases. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Apple can get away with it much more because they have built such a superior product that people are willing to stomach buying their product even if they disagree with their politics. And conservatives will succeed in the marketplace when they do the exact same thing. There needs yes. to be more conservative companies that, that, that 
cater to conservatives, but not only to conservatives. The way that conservatives can win in the marketplace is not just competing in the parallel economy, which will naturally happen. I'm convinced that, it, that we're heading in this direction. But there will be a few companies that will avoid falling into this parallel pit. Not all of them, but a handful will. Apple is, is one of a handful of companies that I think can get away with selling to both sides because both sides like them. Other companies aren't going to be so lucky. Conservatives need to be, and, and look, we're the ones that support the free market. The left doesn't. We should be better at this than the left. We should be. Calvin Coolidge once said that the business of America is business. And if conservatives truly believe in free market capitalism and, and have that, that entrepreneurial spirit, we should be making more companies, making more products, making more content that doesn't just appeal to other people that agree with us, but appeals to everyone and that everybody wants to consume. And then we can infuse our own worldview into those products or content, maybe not in an explicitly political way like the left has increasingly done on places like Disney and stuff like that, but but in a way that, that, that reinforces some of the principles that we believe in, that free market capitalism is better than socialism, for example. And that's why you're buying our product and not a government product. But like, once we get to that point, then we will have won, right? Because the left has taken over every single institution in this country subtly. They've taken over the media. They've taken over ac academia. They've taken over, obviously, the federal government. They've taken over Wall Street increasingly. They've taken over Silicon Valley. They took over Hollywood. Like, I can just go through the entire list. And how many of those was it explicit? It didn't become explicit until they had taken it over. And so... What they did first was is that they made good products that everybody wanted, right? We, we get upset about Google. We get upset about YouTube. We get upset about Twitter. But you know what? I mean, we used those products before they made their, their, their politics explicitly known. And then we got upset about it after the fact. Conservatives should do the exact same thing. We should make good products, take over the marketplace with them, and then we can, we can do the exact same thing the left has done in the past 10 years. So I think we've concluded that there is a time and place to compete in the parallel economy and the current marketplace. But Lydia, I really do want our listeners to check out um, Public Square because I've been able to watch, you know, I signed up for Public Square probably six months ago and there weren't a whole lot of businesses in our area in Virginia signed up at that point. But it's been really neat to see new businesses being added um, in Culpeper near D.C., places like that. Work, tell people about Parallel, um, Public Square, where they can go, and you know some of the things about it. Sure. So Public Square is just publicsq.com, and they have an app you can download to your phone to kind of tell it where you uh, tell it where you are, so it can tell you what businesses around you might be on the same wavelength as you are. Um, it was really interesting to us because we do live in a blue state, and we pulled it up, and we were like. There are restaurants near us. There is a personal trainer near us that we're probably going to end up using both of us down the road. And there really are businesses in pretty much every single state. And as the number of users increases and they kind of pitch this idea to the companies that are around them, that's how the whole thing grows. This is this, like Christian said, is how we win. We show people that we're, they're not alone. So this is something that I think is highly underrated. I think a lot of conservatives listen to the mainstream media too much and they are forced to conclude that they are in a huge minority. No one agrees with them. Everyone thinks they're crazy and all this other stuff. It's 
not true. There are a lot of people of common sense all around you, whatever state you live in. And as Christian was talking about before, a lot of these blue centers are blue cities. They're not blue states as such. A significant percentage of each state, including states like Illinois, are very, very red. So with the exception of a city like Chicago, you're going to have people who are at least kind of on your side, people who agree with you on some things. These are moderates. These are the people that you have to convince to vote for you. We are in the majority, the people who are not deep, dark blue, even though they are the squeaky wheels that tend to get the grease, those are not in the, those people are not the majority. So when you look around and you see that you're surrounded by public square businesses, I think it's very comforting to a lot of people for them to recognize that they're not alone, that they're not crazy, and that they can support businesses that support their ideals. Just the other morning, Andy and I went and got brunch at a wonderful restaurant that's super popular uh, right near us that is a public square member. And we thought it was awesome. We left them a huge tip. We told them to keep doing what they're doing. Um, And they had a sign in their window that said, we accept everyone of every background, of every vaccination status. And I was like, that's how you know that they're part of public square. It's because they, they they uphold the... The philosophies that we thought in the 90s were 100% true. You know, racism's on the way out. People don't discriminate on that basis anymore, et cetera, et cetera, that we're now seeing the left try to bring back. So I think not only is Public Square a good way of pushing back on this kind of thing, it's also very encouraging and it develops that sense of community and camaraderie that people, I think, have really been missing out on. Because you can go to these companies and then be like, hey, you know, I saw, I found you on Public Square. I think that's awesome. Good for you. And if you need, or if you feel like you need to use a hushed tone to talk about that because you're in a heavily blue area, fine. But you can still support them and let them know that you support them because they use the app and that's actually how you found them. I think it's a very cool way, not just to develop the parallel economy, but to build the community that we want and so desperately need in our current world that's rife with social media and discontent and TikTok and all this other stuff that's genuinely disturbing. Good way to get back in touch with real people is to use publicsq.com for sure. Strongly recommend it. I think that's one of the biggest things that we can do right now. And it's one of the best, most organized ways to find companies that don't hate your guts. So strongly recommend. Should we point out, by the way, that we're not even sponsored by Public Square? (laughs) I thought about saying that earlier. No yeah, sponsorship. I mean, we're, at the, we're at the end of the show, but I, I, I for, for those of you that have stuck around for this long, like we're throwing out some of these these suggestions, and we're not getting paid to do so. Like we we've, we've right. brought up Public Square before. Um, so so um, uh, d- during the holiday season last year for Christmas, we we suggested Public Square as a place for people to go for for potential Christmas shopping. And I, as far as I I know. Public Square never contacted us, asked us to do anything. And I know I, I could look at my bank account. I certainly didn't get paid by them. And so, right. like, we're, what we're trying to do here, if, we're ever, if we ever do ads on Making the Argument, we're going to let you know who we're being sponsored yep. by and why we decided to partner with them as of well. Course. Because I can tell you firsthand, you know, having consumed a lot of content online that's both political and apolitical, if I'm ever seeing somebody push an ad, I want to know why they're pushing it rather than just getting paid to do so. I want it to be a good product. 
right? I, I mean, mm -hmm. going back to what we were talking about before. So, like, the reason that we're pushing Public Square here is because we're trying to give our audience members some avenues that they can go through in order to support conservative businesses. But don't just support a conservative business just because they're conservative, right? right. Support a conservative business if they're offering a good product. Because if you're just going to support them because they're conservative, what, what's going to happen over time is that eventually the quality of the goods and services that we're going to be purchasing is going to get worse. And the partisan, the rank partisanship is going to go through the roof. And right. we're just going to be expected to buy junk garbage simply because they're, quote unquote, on our side. I don't want to just buy garbage just because the person selling it to me is apparently, you know, proclaims to be on my side. I want to buy a good product. That actually right. does what it's, you know, labeled on the tin, so to speak. And right. I know that I'm buying into a product that the company that's selling it to me is not pushing woke performative nonsense. Right. I personally, I appreciate Public Square not just because they help me find businesses that don't hate my guts, but also because typically what they'll do is point you in the direction of local businesses, of small businesses. To me, that's really important because yeah. Amazon is very hard to get away from. I understand it's free shipping, two-day shipping, whatever, but you have a lot of other options for your other stuff. And when it comes especially to places like restaurants and places that we don't necessarily have to go, but that we like going to, that's, that are very important to our community experience, Public Square is great for that. And I may have a little bit of a conflict of interest just because my husband does work alongside them. But at the okay, same yeah, time, maybe I should... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe I should stress that. I mentioned that. that earlier. I did mention that well, earlier. Yeah, you, you did bring that up earlier, but but we're certainly not I, sponsored by Public Square. Right. I just don't see yeah. any other person, any other company doing this right now. I feel like they've really got a foot in the door, and I hope that a lot of other people will follow suit and a lot of other companies will want to get on board. And people, you can just walk around and ask people if they want to join, ask companies uh, and businesses in your area if they want to join Public Square because it's free for them to do so um, and then we can kind of expand the network that we have there so I personally view it as a great practical way for people to jump on board with the parallel economy if you don't like the quality of a business that you go to just you don't have to go back just find a different one you'll have a lot of different options obviously depending on where you are but even here where we are in the heart of blueness um, there were certainly some options for us which I thought was awesome I really think the future is bright as far as the parallel economy goes, and I don't see it scaling back anytime soon. So to wrap up here, I think it's only going to get worse. To wrap up, sorry, download public square. Now we've we third time we've now interrupted Hamilton. Hamilton, sorry, Lydia and I are just here, kind of like laughing at each other because I went doom and gloom. Go ahead and close this out, Hamilton. Look square. Buy Jeremy's chocolate. Jeremy's razors. I actually have a Jeremy's razors. I thought it was fantastic. Nick and Tina will be back with us on Tuesday. Quick side note: I'll talk about this more on during Tuesday's episode. We do have a new YouTube channel for making the argument. Lydia and I will leave a link for it in the description. We're posting medium clips over there right now, shorts um, from the podcast over the last few months, just to get some content on there, get it rolling. Uh, we are going to be transitioning the podcast from Nick's YouTube channel 
to its own YouTube channel. Like I said, we'll talk about it more on Tuesday. There's a lot of reasons for that, a lot of new content that we want to publish, that we want to get out there. Also, subscribe to Nick uh, Nick's channel on Rumble. We've got all the podcast episodes on there. If you pr- prefer to watch on Rumble, uh, you can do that. We want to provide you that opportunity. But anyway, thank you for joining us. We hope Nick and Tina are having a great vacation for their anniversary, and we look forward to seeing them, them back in the studio, all of us back in the studio, uh, this coming Tuesday. Thanks so much. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.